Welcome to Tangled Web, a conversation about where we are now and where we're going with the web. Today I'm talking to Martin Feld, who's a prolific podcaster. His podcasts include Hemispheric Views, which he describes as tech-adjacent, and really specific stories on which he interviews other tech podcasters. So this makes him the perfect guest for this last conversation <laughs> in my deep dive into tech podcasting. Martin, welcome to Tangled Web. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm very happy with that uh, opening description. <laughs> I won't refuse oh, that. <laughs> <laughs> so on your, your Really Specific Stories podcast, you always uh, start by asking your guests about how they first get into podcasts. And so, of course, I'm going to turn the tables on you Ooh. and ask you, how did you first get into podcasts? Thank you for turning the tables. And just to preface this interview, <laughs> it is a bit of a challenge maybe for me being an interviewee, so I'll try to resist the temptation of interviewing you back. Yeah, I don't know if my uh, experience is much different from many other people's. It was really down to commuting. At the time, I was uh, in yeah. a different job in Sydney. Uh, I live in Wollongong, which is about uh, an hour and a half south driving. Longer if you factor in peak time commuting, so that was always good fun. Yeah. And podcasts, but specifically tech podcasts, really came to be the thing that helped me pass the time. And it was much more powerful for me on a commute than what music was. I love music, you know, long fan of, you know, things like iPods and iPhones and carrying your music with you. But music always had you super tied to the idea of a four minute song. And then the four minute song was over yeah. and then the next song came up. And so you were really, really aware of the time that was passing. Tech podcasting, because I already had that long standing interest in Apple technology mainly, but lots of other devices too. Listening to various tech podcasts with extended conversation, maybe you know, an hour, even two hours worth, really helped the commute to fly by. And as a lot of people discuss when it comes to podcasts, you have that connection or that kind of intimacy that is established with the hosts or co-hosts. Yeah. So it kind of felt like I was traveling along with a bunch of friends who were talking about the same sort of stuff that I liked. And it helped the commute just fly by. So it was a really powerful way of engaging with other people's stories, learning tips and different experiences with technology. That's interesting, that four minute song thing being sort of a clock to tell you how long it's taking to get to work. And that is a long commute. Mm -hmm. I do not envy you having mm. had to do that. So how did you get into creating podcasts? That was actually a little bit later after I uh, moved to a different job in my hometown of Wollongong. I suddenly had all of this extra time in my life, which was once populated by the commute that I just mentioned. Yep. And having engaged more and more with different shows, discovering different social networks and blogs and personalities tied to tech podcasting, I thought, this is a pretty cool environment. You know, there's a lot of cross-linking and uh, show notes leading to different resources on the web. I was learning constantly and I thought, how could I learn more maybe in an academic or research context about tech podcasts, because there doesn't seem to be very much about tech podcasts in existing podcast literature. So why don't I look into it? So I started exploring that and thought, hmm, I could maybe do some PhD research on this and revisit some of the research experience that I'd had when I was still at the local uni, University of Wollongong. So I decided I'm going to undertake a PhD, go back to my previous supervisor. Her name's Dr. Kate Bowles, fantastic uh, researcher and, and teacher, educator all around. And she said, this sounds like a really interesting project exploring tech podcasts, but if you're going to engage with them and research them and learn more about them, you should actually try making them. And that thought had never really crossed my mind, the idea of ah. putting that 
theory into practice because you look at this thing and it always seems so polished. People have got this pro equipment. Yep. How am I going to do that? And then you yep. realize, oh, I have these existing web skills. I have this media or digital podcasting literacy from having engaged with them and consumed them. Why not give it a go? So that was the launch pad really to starting my personal podcast lounge ruminator, which became a kind of way of journaling online, kind of like that classic audio blogging and then exploring yeah. some of the different media and literature ideas that I had engaged with. And then that snowballed into appearing on others through the network micro.blog and meeting my co-hosts, Andrew and Jason, with whom I do Hemispheric Views. So that was the kind of process to starting my own podcasts. I really wanted to ask you about your PhD project. It sounds fascinating. Can you tell us more about that? Particularly, you, you say that it kind of relates to media, ecology, fandom, and persona. I've seen written on one of your websites. Tell us more about that. Yeah, and I'll try to do it in a way that fits in the shorter format of your show, because I think people who do PhDs <laughs> or any research project just maybe can go on forever. So it's a good challenge, this one, trying to keep it uh, concise. So media ecology is a field which is all about essentially looking at, uh, if you're ever familiar or if any of your listeners are familiar with one of the most famous media scholars, Marshall McLuhan, he had this famous phrase or axiom, the medium is the message. The idea being the form really dictates or drives or influences the content. People think content first, but really it's the medium and what encapsulates stuff. So with that in mind, you look at the podcast and suddenly you go, wow, the podcast really is this, it's a medium, but it's also this very specific form of content. It's kind of related to radio or radiogenic, but then it's part of the broader web. Sometimes it's visual. Most of the time it's audio. It operates within hyperlinked show notes. So it's this really intriguing kind of ecosystem or environment of different media where audio is generally at the core. So my research kind of focuses on tech podcasting as an interesting case study yeah. of this medium within this broader ecology or ecosystem. And then, as you mentioned, fan studies and persona, the idea that people could be different people, whether they're listening to or producing podcasts, maybe they're different people across podcasts. Are they fans of a technology? Are they fans of someone else's podcast while they produce their own? You suddenly start to realize that this thing that you just pressed play on and thought was rather simple on a phone or an old iPod actually links to this whole broader environment of different relationships and interconnected technologies. So really, I'm just interested in how podcasts and the open web are a best practice for communicating ideas, breeding fandom and helping each other out. Yeah, there's so much to dig into there. Let's, let's go with the last thing you mentioned there, yes. the, uh, the open web. You've named your really specific stories podcast after RSS, which yes. for any listeners who are not familiar with it stands for really simple syndication. And it's the protocol by which most podcasts are distributed to your podcast player. Mm -hmm. I am really interested in open protocols like that, but there, there don't seem to be many of them these days. Like the, the web is open. So if you put out a website, then that belongs to you it's your website and, it, and podcasting is open if you put out a podcast it, it's mm -hmm. yours but almost nothing else is i mean if you put a, a video out on youtube it's kind of not really yours it's kind of owned by google they decide mm -hmm. who sees it and how people interact with it so yeah i was wondering if you had any thoughts on uh, rss and how it's molded podcasting i love that question and you're right rss is kind of the driving force for that podcast as a theme and, and my research in general. 
And I'll try not to answer in such a way that shows bias before the project is actually done, but you've asked me, so I'll, <laughs> I'll answer it accordingly. I think you're totally right that RSS is really this, I don't want to say that it's the absolute last space, but it's seemingly one of the last spaces for open communication on the web. Whether it's uh, social networks or YouTube, like you mentioned, or more exclusive audio hosts like Spotify, for example, or other podcast hosts that kind of lock your audio in there. And that's up to you if you want to use yeah. those. I'm not going to judge people if that's an easier or more accessible way to do it. But my thought is that RSS, whether or not you're an advanced coder or developer or you're into technology, it is just this really intriguing and wonderful thing that persists in order to help people regardless of their skill level, make and distribute spoken or blog uh, written content about whatever they like. So really specific stories is ultimately the research vehicle or the platform or medium for delivering the interviews that are fueling my own PhD thesis eventually on tech podcasting as an environment. So the idea that, you know what, theses and other kind of publications end up being kind of locked away from the general public. That's just the kind of the natural order, it seems, of how research tends Indeed. to be delivered. But RSS gives you this opportunity to share openly the ideas that are going into that research. So even if people aren't interested in the thesis that I eventually put out, or some of the more perhaps lofty academic concepts that you know spring up in this stuff, there, there'll be this yeah. open archive of stories about people's podcasting experiences as producers and listeners. And you can go and engage with that if you're into the, the format or the genre or the medium itself. And have access to those ideas in a very open way. So my thought about RSS in general is that it's this thing that should continue to exist. We shouldn't forget about it. We should take advantage of it where possible to have really focused, targeted communication about what we love and share with other people. And I use targeted in a different way from what would normally be used for, let's say, social media advertising or targeting that follows you around the web. I mean, in the sense yeah. that's niche or focused because, you know, there's an audience out there that you want to target and they will find your stuff through that organic spreading of ideas on the web and you know why waste that opportunity you know start a blog start a podcast use rss to your advantage that's interesting how you consider the podcast to be part of your research i like that idea of your you're communicating some aspects of your research to people who would never read your final paper that comes out of this research mm -hmm. but may well subscribe to your podcast one of my other podcasts is called The Last Theory. It's following a particular theory of physics put out by Stephen Wolfram. And he's created what he's called the Wolfram Physics Project, which is sort of the same kind of idea where it's research in public. It's kind of open research. They, they live stream all of their conversations and have them up on YouTube and available on, on podcasts. And they invite other people to use that as a basis to kind of do their own research it's just an interesting idea, and I, I do love the the potential for the web to sort of go back to being open. The original dream of the web was that, okay, this is a new open medium where anybody can publish anything, and it's mm. sort of become more proprietary since then. So I, I really like these movements in the other direction back to being open again. Thank you. And yeah, I, I agree. The thing about doing things in public, and this is whether it's the podcasting you do, I don't know if you'd characterize it this way, but the podcasting I certainly do, and this includes Hemispheric Views with my co-host Sandra and Jason, there's a real feeling of practice, and not just practices in yeah. theory versus practice, but practicing your skills in public. I like that yeah. idea because whether it's in academia or 
social media in general, there's been this kind of veering towards, we must be professional. There is professionalism, there's monetization, you must be perfect. And look, I want my audio to sound as good as possible, but you know what? Yeah. I'm a human being. Sometimes I stuff up. In the case of, uh, and I'm speaking on behalf of my co-hosts, Andrew and Jason, I hope they're not bothered <laughs> by this, but you know, we didn't go into it with this whole history of professional, you know, in-studio broadcast stuff. It was yeah. three guys who met through a social network called Micro.blog and discovered that they all like technology and podcasts and thought, hey, let's make one. I think that's representative of a lot of people. So technologies like RSS, open web tools, podcasting, whether it's for academia or just for general fun, embrace the fact that you're a bit of an amateur. Don't take that as a negative word. Put your ideas out there and practice in public and i don't know if do you relate to that at all with some of the the ideas that you're engaging with on on your shows the idea that you maybe don't know everything until you give it a go absolutely i mean i'm i'm actually learning this theory of physics as i mm. go along and mm -hmm. so i'm sort of terrified that i'm going to say stuff like in the early episodes that i'm going to learn as i learn more and more about the theory are completely wrong but it's sort of part of the process and I'm mm. open about that. You know, I say I'm not a physicist, I'm not a mathematician, I'm just learning this, I'm writing my software that's generating the visuals as we go along. And I think people really, really mm. engage with that. As long as you don't pretend to be something you're not, in, in fact, especially if you don't pretend to be something you're not, people really buy into that. Absolutely. And being open to learning stuff as you go, like you said, I think that's another thing that distinguishes what we do as podcasters, tech or not, from maybe the traditional idea of journalism. I think when people look yep. at things like journalism, they think, oh, okay, you do your research and you really need to be on point with your questions to the point that sometimes you start to direct the story yourself, which can yes. be a little bit concerning <laughs> in interviews, I think. If you're trying to expose something or maybe you're you know, a journalist who's trying to put out a story that, you know, reveals a certain scandal or, you know, a certain thing that's really yeah. important. Okay, makes sense. Do your research, drive that story as long as you're not fabricating it. But as an interviewer, for example, when I'm doing show, uh, show interviews on really specific stories, I'm adopting a method that's called narrative inquiry, which really focuses or emphasizes on the importance of the guest or participant's narrative, letting them speak, asking open-ended questions, yeah. avoiding things like yeah. why or yes or no, questions that start with how or what or tell me about this. So yeah. what you're essentially discovering is someone's story and you as the interviewer are the linking sentences, the linking questions that help to piece that story together. You aren't the story yourself. So I think whether you're a tech podcaster or in a different field, it kind of helps to ask open questions or be open to learning, being open yourself, yeah. the very way that the technology you're hopefully using is also open. Uh, that's interesting. It's interesting to hear that you're very conscious about the way that you ask questions. You, mm. you mentioned tech podcasting and you said that your PhD was effectively using tech podcasting as an example of podcasting. Do, do you think or have you found that tech podcasting is different in any respects from other podcasts? My understanding of, or at least bias as a fan of tech podcasts, is that really whether you go into sports podcasting or maybe game fandom or maybe it's business or it could be something like, you know, the classic serial with true crime, Open podcasts yeah. are all doing very similar things regardless of their genre or their theme. They're giving someone the yeah. chance to put their ideas out in the open without the need for a broadcaster or a studio. So tick, that's yeah. all the same. What I think is different or perhaps further along the road 
about tech podcasting compared to other genres and formats is that because the people who are making tech podcasts, regardless of whether they're Apple centric or not, they're (laughs) into the technology that they're using to create the podcasts, whether it's the microphone or the RSS infrastructure underlying it, or the computer they're looking at as they speak to their guest, they're conscious and aware of the medium and the technologies that are going into making it. So they end up having rather meta discussions, and I use meta not in the branded sense that we have to deal with today. (laughs) They're having meta discussions about the formation and the influence and the role of the technologies that they're using. And so then they put a lot of effort, they tend to put a lot of effort into this thing called paratext, I would say, which is all of these things like the show notes and the blogs and the social media that goes around it. And I'm sure you've probably seen yourself where you might go to a podcast that was absolutely beautifully done. It might have been done by an individual or like a pro broadcaster or studio. Yeah. Audio quality is brilliant. The story's there. My goodness, it was just an awesome experience. But then you want to find out more about something in the show notes and it's just not there. There's no, no, no linking. links. And how many yeah. podcasts have no links? It's crazy. Like you think, exactly. oh, I missed that. Can I find it in the show notes? Like, no, there's nothing there. <laughs> exactly. And look, I, I accept that not everyone's into that. And show notes yeah. tend to be the secondary part of the experience. But it's this idea yeah. that you have this audio, which is part of this broader open web and this potential to link to stuff, but people don't use it. So tech podcasting is, I think, best in class for realizing its role on the open web how it's really an extension of or enhancement of that original idea of blogging and it really forms communities in a way that tend to be much more obvious or powerful than maybe other fandoms out there doesn't make it more legitimate other fandoms are fantastic and maybe have a different focus but tech podcasting seems to be promoting that openness and that focus on persisting technologies alive I'd like to close by asking you about the future of podcasting. So this is kind of a wide open question, you know, Mm. both your podcast and podcasting in general. What are you most excited about right now? I'm excited to see, I suppose, the human elements of it. I think even though I'm interested in this project that I'm doing and also stuff like Hemispheric Views with my co-hosts, that idea of the tech podcast in general and persisting in an open environment we can't really stop things from changing. If you look at radio, for example, looking into the past for a second, if you had said to people decades ago that radio would still exist and still be you know, really popular around the world in general, secondary, of course, to TV and the internet and so on, they would kind of maybe be shocked about the fact that a lot of people listen to it digitally now. Now, because it's digital yeah. rather than terrestrial, does that mean that it's not radio anymore? You can find endless academic journals and books that discuss that sort of thing, <laughs> right? But the spirit of radio is there. So same with podcasting. I would like things to remain open. And I think as the future goes on, there will always be an open enthusiast component, but it may not be the main form anymore. Maybe video will take over. We see more and more people engaging with video. So what I'm saying is I can't predict where the technology is exactly going to go. I would like openness to be maintained, but I'm most interested in how people gain experience or learn from it or use it as a vehicle for communication. Because whatever shape it takes, I think that audio will continue to play an increasingly important role because people realize, oh, I can do this while walking the dog or cleaning the kitchen or cooking something or going for a drive. People will find more and more creative ways to make very professional sounding audio in a way that's accessible. So In the future, what I would like to see is more and more diverse voices. I think we're already kind of there, but people who have totally different backgrounds and experiences, because I'm very aware that, you know, I'm some 
white guy from Australia who likes technology and found a couple of other white guys to talk to technology about. How can we improve and make that better so that people who have less of a voice or haven't necessarily been treated as the norm can kind of float to the surface and be a bigger part of that environment? This is the wonderful thing about anything open is that it has mm -hmm. the potential to allow things to go in many different directions that were not previously possible. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, you can see things at the moment, like I won't get too deeply into it, like the whole Twitter thing and, you know, people going to stuff yeah. like Mastodon, but you kind of see things where people go, oh, I don't want to be, you know, shepherded into or controlled by this one thing. I want to have the chance to meet lots of different people or control where stuff goes or where I operate or publish stuff. So I think as more and more decentralized networks or things pop up that give that potential, let's see more and more podcasts, tech or not, talking about openness and why they like and enjoy what they do to give other people that kind of inspiration to go and publish stuff openly. So I think it's kind of incumbent on us to promote this, which I think I'm doing and seems like you're doing through this very show Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that was a lot of fun. Listeners, you can find Martin's podcasts. Hemispheric Views is at hemisphericviews.com and really specific stories is at www.rsspod.net. And you can find more about what Martin's up to at martinfeld.info. And the links will be in the show notes. <laughs> I don't the usually on you say now. that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Martin, thanks so much for joining me on Tangled Web. This has been a real pleasure and thank you for having me. A lot of fun. Thanks for listening to Tangled Web. Join me for fresh insights into the future of the web every other week. Subscribe to the free newsletter, podcast or YouTube channel at tangledweb.media. Remember, the web has only just begun.